Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Kevin Kaufman, your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Agents podcast, the real estate podcast that brings you short business tips and tricks, as well as in-depth interviews with some of our industry's leading minds. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Greg Markoff, how you doing today, buddy? Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here today on Next Level Agents podcast uh, recording. I uh, just wanted to say, number one, thanks for spending some time with us. You and I had a conversation a couple months back uh, for our team on the art of negotiation and a few other things. And I just, I was so fascinated by it. Uh, I thought we would do this again, but uh, go ahead and record it this time for the podcast and here for the Next Level Agents Facebook group. Love it. Awesome. So, Greg, let's. Why don't we start here, man? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, I'll, I'll I guess I'll start with you and I met back in the short sale days, right? Because we were two of the crazy ones who were willing to negotiate with banks uh, for our commissions and to help people avoid foreclosure back in the uh, foreclosure and short sale crisis uh, a decade ago, uh, which is where we crossed paths. But um, you have obviously a bit of a unique background and what you're doing these days with your career is super fascinating to me. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and kind of what makes uh, Greg Markoff tick. Yeah, thanks. Uh, again, thanks for having us. It was a total blast last time. I think we're going to have some really good fun uh, this time around too. So I got licensed to sell real estate. I came out of the corporate world. Uh, we were in an educational software startup right here in the Phoenix area. Uh, got bought out by a publicly traded company and basically pretty soon it became apparent that it was just an IP acquisition. So everyone got the sack. Uh, thankfully, I was already going to real estate school at night because I kind of didn't like the software world and uh, got my license in 2003. Uh, did the typical thing that agents do, kind of dilly-dally, meander, had a good 2005. But if you're alive in 2005 and had a real estate license, you were making $200,000. So that, that wasn't the same thing. Remarkable. But uh, when the market started to go bad uh, is uh, when I made the decision to position myself to do short sales because I had done one weird market circumstance thing. So I knew how to do it. And my business partner at the time said, hey, I think this is coming. And I was like, no, I don't know. I don't know. So we did. And uh, in 2007, went from five to over 100 listings. Right. So obviously the demand was there. And uh, this was back when uh, agents were having positive thinking sessions and the kind of, you know, hey, let's get together and the old market's going to be back rather than saying, hey, there's real demand that we can meet right now. And then, you know, how that is, right. So uh, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12 uh, were all really, really good years for me. Uh, it was tough. Uh, it was a lot of work, but uh, it was good and also very fulfilling being able to help hundreds of people. Uh, we did a lot of uh, short sales ourselves. We negotiated on behalf of other real estate agents. I was able to offer that service, uh, first through a title company, then through my broker, and uh, at the same time, got into education. So basically, when the bad market started to go away and the good market was coming back in, I had to make a decision. Do I transition back to traditional real estate or do I follow my real passion, which is education? And I decided to completely jump ship, well, almost completely, and uh, go full-time into uh, education. And basically, since 2013, I've been full-time with a company called the Real Estate Negotiation Institute. I teach all of our West Coast uh, CNE Certified Negotiation Expert and MCNE Master Certified Negotiation Expert classes. I am also the train-the-trainer in our company. 
uh, develop some content and uh, so on. So that kind of brings us to uh, 2019. Awesome. So you're doing a lot of work there in the negotiation field and you and I obviously share a, share a desire and passion for that. And um, so if you don't mind, I'm just going to dive in with a few questions kind of around negotiations, especially as it pertains to those of us in, in real estate. Um, you know, I was having a couple conversations, in fact, on a podcast I recorded recently, and I, I think may have just gotten released today. Roland Frazier was, uh, who's a super successful businessman, was really discussing the importance of negotiations and, and how that takes place. And another recent podcast with a friend of mine, Leo Pereja, who owns a company called Remine or Remine, uh, also discussed negotiations as being a differentiating factor for real estate agents, especially 2019 and beyond. And so hopefully we can kind of dig into that. But I guess where I want to start today, Greg, is like, what's the most important thing about negotiations in, in your mind, with your experience being a trainer and a train the trainer, uh, as well as having negotiated thousands of short sales yourself, point blank, like what's the deal? What's the most important thing negotiations? Yeah, I think, I think kind of in line with what you just said, Kevin, I think the most important thing about negotiations is acknowledging that really everything's a negotiation, right? We have a very American mindset about what negotiations are, which I think most of the time is like that very awkward moment, like right before you sign the contract for the car, right? And it's this really gross feeling, nasty, haggling, uh, awkward, and everything else. Like that's negotiations. Everything else is just kind of life. Well, that's the mentality I want people to get out of as quickly as possible, because in reality, everything's a negotiation, right? How do you introduce yourself, how do you communicate in writing, the kind of questions that you ask, the fact that you ask questions, right? All of that becomes a negotiation. And to your point, um, I think the real estate industry, we are behind and we are a little bit backwards, but I think we're finally waking up to the fact that guess what? Negotiation is what we do, right? That's what we do. The corporate world has been there for years, right? There's not really, I'm not aware of any MBA program that does not contain a negotiation module because an executive is one who is effective at negotiation, one who understands the science of persuasion. In real estate, I mean, in one sense, that's what we do. And yet it was year 2017 when National Association of Realtors rolled out their own class, right? This is like a hundred years after real estate agents have been doing what we're doing and negotiating how, right? So I think that's probably the most important thing is understanding that basically all of life is negotiation. Everything is negotiable. Even things that we don't think are negotiable are negotiable, right? Okay, so that's that's an interesting point. So then let me ask it to you this way. If everything's negotiable, think about, I guess what I'm thinking about is like the markets that you and I came up in, right? With, or I should say myself, you were in real estate a little bit before I was, um, where it was a, it was a buyer's market. Uh, and so what about when you're disadvantaged by the market? You know, in that case, the sellers were disadvantaged. More recently, the buyers have been disadvantaged yeah, uh, yeah. by the market. Is it possible to truly negotiate things when you're essentially disadvantaged by the market? Well, I think that's, uh, there's two things. You know, it's funny. I just taught in Eugene, Oregon, which apparently is a pretty hot market right now. And uh, I was just there, um, just there two weeks ago, I guess. And uh, this is a question that comes up all the time, no matter where I teach. Like, so for example, Eugene, 
uh, San Jose, right? That's an insanely hot seller's market. And a lot of times agents, like in a privacy of classroom, like, hey, that sounds really good when you write it in a book. But I mean, come on, no one's getting anything negotiated. You basically roll over and give them whatever they want in my market, right? And that's one of those things where I actually had this situation. It was it was in Los Angeles. I remember I was talking to her with and the lady was basically, she goes into the script. She goes, that's fine, not in my market. And there was another agent that's sitting right next to her. And she goes, that's great. I love people like you who believe that. You continue believing that while I am out there negotiating advantage for my clients, right? The point is this. We have to define what negotiation is. Or specifically, we have to define what success in a negotiation is, right? I think the main thing in, of negotiation is like, hey, in my market, I'm going to be able to get 50% off every single list price of a house. Well, if that's your expectation, you're going to fail in any market, right? Let, let's let's be realistic. You're going to fail in any market. But within the context of your market, there's still a range where you are going to get taken advantage of and give away absolutely everything, throw your money, your client's money, everything else is a problem. And on the other end, being able to not get taken advantage of and within reason, within context, get your clients the best possible outcome, the best possible deal, right? I think at the moment we understand that all of that is negotiation, right? Rather than bully, win, lose kind of tactic, that's when we start to say, oh, I see. And, 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 and the skilled negotiators, that's what they're doing. No matter what the market is, they get it. My job is to get the best possible outcome for my clients. Okay, so you just, you just gave an example with a skilled negotiator what do you do as a, as a real estate professional when the other agent, the other person on the side of a transaction, maybe you're trying to put a deal together on, just doesn't know what they're doing. They don't really understand negotiations. Like, um, but you're, you know, obviously trying to work a fair and equitable deal for your client. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that's a great one. And, and statistically, right. I mean, I, I can't speak for all real estate agents. I've never surveyed, uh, all real estate agents, but I know that at least our company, which is the largest negotiation training company for real estate professionals in the world, our penetration just into the licensed real estate market in the United States is about three and a half percent, right? That's how many agents we train, and we're the largest company out there. This means, Kevin, that say there's someone else that's out there working behind the scenes, okay, and I'll give them one and a half percent. At most, Right, and, and that does not account for attrition over the past 12 years that we've been teaching, yeah. right? Assuming all those agents are still in business. Still, best case scenario, about 5% of real estate professionals have any kind of negotiation training. Now, that 5% might maybe the 5% that's doing 95% of the business, but still, right? Chances of you working with a non-trained, non-skilled negotiator on the other side are incredibly high, right? Incredibly high. So, back to your question, what do you do about it? I think the answer is you don't have a choice. You're you're doing both sides of the job, right? Well, yeah, and I know this is yours and my thing too, right? But let's go back to the short sale world. You get someone and they're talking to you, the questions they're asking, you're like, oh man, wow, this is a short sale that's gonna go nowhere. This is this is the agent that's gonna kill the transaction folks, right? So what do you do? You basically have to step in, get assertive, and try to run both sides of the transaction so that they don't disadvantage themselves and their clients. That's all you can do with negotiations. But trouble is, you still have to do it. You still have to be able to control both sides. 
That's crazy. So, uh, and and I think you you raise a really good point there. I, I've often said to agents on our team and other people I've mentored and stuff over the years or coach, like, you know, sometimes doing your job means doing the other agent's job too for them, even though, yes, you shouldn't have to. And I think that's a, I think that's an example of what you just said. Let me ask you this then. So if so few are, are skilled in negotiations, um, you know, we hear this term win-win a lot, you know, win-win or no deal. It's certainly something I've, I've been taught, you know, both inside of real estate and outside of real estate for a long time. And it sounds good. I think it's real, but in your words, as uh, someone who's a certified negotiator, someone who trains people how to negotiate, yeah. let me ask it to you this way: Is win-win real? Yeah, I think I think that's a really, really legitimate question. And with books like uh, Chris Voss's "Never Split the Difference," uh, that's kind of like the hot book in in my realm right now, right? Uh, where seemingly. Seemingly, Voss says, well, you know, you don't have to settle and there is no such thing as win-win and hostage negotiations to which, you know, if I saw Chris Voss, I'd say, yeah, but a real estate transaction, thankfully, is not a hostage negotiation. So uh, <laughs> that presupposition does not necessarily hold water. But still, I think um, I think it is something uh, I think it is a legitimate question for us to ask. So uh, the. The way I would like to answer that, at least for our listeners today, is I had a student in Orange County, right? Uh, he was Asian and he raises his hand and he goes, okay, this is all fine and good, this is great. But the kind of client that I work with, the kind of expectations they have, they don't want win-win. They want you to be aggressive. So how do I reconcile that, right? And I still remember it, I looked at him and I said, do they though, or, do they want you to be effective? And there's a huge difference between being aggressive and effective. In fact, you can be aggressive collaborator, aggressive integrator of thoughts and ideas and interests and still be aggressive about getting the most for your client, which is kind of the whole point, right? When win-win was originally uh, presented to us, it actually had a meaning. The problem, Kevin, is everything's win-win now, right? You get a low ball and it's like, hey, let's make it a win-win. And it's like, okay, this is your win, where's mine, right? That, that, that's the problem that we have is this is one of those businessy terms that's become this huge cliche. So originally win-win is simply a more effective way to work with the other side that inclines them to be willing to work with you rather than go on a defensive, which is inevitably what win-lose does. And nobody likes being taken advantage of. Nobody likes working in an environment where they think it's unfair. And the moment you create that kind of an environment, the pie shrinks rather than creating an environment where exchange can take place and you can arrive at a win-win. So the argument is simply this. Is it real? Yeah. Is it more effective? Well, at least right here in our background, uh, there's a professor at Thunderbird. Her name is Dr. Karen Walsh, who has quantified 125 negotiators who are competitive, 120 or just, just whatever, and 125 negotiators or skilled win-win dedicated negotiators for three years. And on average, right, on average, her experiment says that the skilled win-win negotiators create 17% better outcomes for their clients, 17%. That's a lot, right? Let's make it more, even more real. 17% gain on a 6% expense. Is that a deal you're buying? I'm taking that. Heck yeah. Right? That's huge. Um, right, right. 
That's interesting. I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't know about that, uh, about that experiment that she's running. That's, that's pretty great. Um, so let me ask you this. So how do you, I guess it's kind of maybe a silly question for you because you're the guy that actually does it, but can negotiation training uh, help? A like, how does that really help in a, in a real estate agent, especially like an experienced real estate agent, somebody who's been in the business a while, has done some deals and dealt with that other side? How, I guess, how and can it and how does it really help a, an experienced real estate agent with their with their business and I guess they're honing their negotiation skills? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Let me put it this way. The range of agents that end up in my classroom is like I am getting my license next week to I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm pulling down four and a half million dollars per year, right, in GCI. Uh, example, uh, I think she's actually part of the group. Uh, a good friend of mine, her name is Krista Mashor. She's an agent in the uh, East Bay area right? She went all the way through the program, got her master's, and she, in her own words, uh, said that uh, it was the most effective program, the most beneficial program she's ever had. Now, by the time Krista was on my classroom, she'd done hundreds of transactions. It would be dumb of me to say, well, she was just a crappy negotiator when she came in, and suddenly she became a good one. No, this is the kind of person that can, on her own, through the school of hard knocks, figure out, well, what does it take to be an effective negotiator. How do I get the transaction? How do I how do I get it? What is the more effective way to negotiate? Right. So these are the kind of people that intuitively arrive at it. But this isn't to say that she didn't get some shortcuts, that she didn't get some confirmations. Do more of this. Do less of this. Or at the very least, understanding the science of cognition and how we make decisions, so that you can say this is why this works and this is why I should do this. So it's an affirmation. So. Uh, kind of to, to, to answer your question in a long way, which uh, I seem to be on a roll with today, but uh, <laughs> kind of kind of to answer it, um, an agent that has never thought about negotiation, great, right? It's like someone who's just learning how to work out and is getting committed to fitness. This is a person that doesn't have bad habits to unlearn. Excellent. This is the person that should be taking the training. An agent that's done it for a long time, one of the biggest takeaways I hear from agents like that is confidence. Understanding science of why do we make decisions, how we make them? How do we, how are we persuaded? When are we most persuasive? Why shouldn't I do this tactic? I know it doesn't feel good, but what is it that the scientific danger that lies behind it is and so on? So uh, a lot of that is just for agents that like Krista is, is a matter of confirmation, is a matter of, uh, fine-tuning what they do and becoming even more effective. Interesting, you say that. So I had another question, uh, I mean, but I wanna, I wanna bounce around to another question I had. I've kinda, um, I had them in order, but something you just said sparked something for me. And that's about uh, marketing and I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the words marketing and then I'm gonna use the word persuasion. Mm -hmm. uh, you've said that word persuasion a few times. Yeah. Is it fair to say that marketing and persuasion are related? Oh man. I, uh, that, that, that's <laughs> it's funny you say that. That's been one of my favorite topics recently because in one sense, what is marketing, right? Marketing is persuading someone that there's value in the product that you're selling. For example, me as a listing agent, what does my marketing do? It's persuading the seller that they sh should work with me because I bring more value to the table than I take off the table, right? 
And what we're learning is a lot of these kinds of decisions are made on a value scale, not on a price scale. And price scale is something that a lot of agents are familiar with and compete on. And it's also the easiest and it's also the worst possible way to compete because that's a race to the bottom, right? Someone out there at some point is going to want to be willing to pay the seller to sell their house. Good luck competing with that person on the price. But fortunately, that's not where value decisions are made. Value decision is a relationship of the benefits that you provide to the price that you charge and how you put those benefits out there turns out to be one of the most effective ways for us to show our value proposition. So for example, this is kind of like the most basic way that I could demonstrate this, but the book called Differentiate or Die, right? Basically argues that at this point, the range of products that we have is really pretty close. So why is it that some sell like crazy? And why is it that some never sell anything? It goes back to persuasion, it goes back to marketing. So yes, I absolutely 100% believe that those are completely entwined. Listen, I'm taking this quick break to invite you personally to our conference, Next Level Agents Live, next April 25th and 26th in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's April 25th and 26th, 2019 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Please join us for the industry's top speakers. I promise this will be the number one educational real estate event of the year. You do not want to miss it. You can get all of the details and buy your tickets today at nlalive.com. That's nlalive.com. Buy your tickets today. When I hear the word negotiation, and I think for a lot of us in real estate, we think, okay, there's another agent and there's the buyer or seller on the other side of this transaction. And, and we're, we're negotiating terms, right? We're negotiating price uh, in other terms like closing date, et cetera. But what you're suggesting is something different, um, yeah. which I, there's a whole rabbit hole. I think I want to go down there, but before I do that, let me pop back to the other side. Let me ask you this. So I'm a real estate agent. Uh, I work with buyers and sellers. Mm -hmm. It, What's the most, um, what are the most important things for me to consider coming mm -hmm. from you as the negotiation expert when I'm helping to make an offer for a buyer or a seller, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, maybe I'm counter offering or, or making the offer if I'm representing the buyer. What are the most important things that I would want to consider uh, from your point of view? Well, two things. First of all, let me, let me back way up and say that I personally don't believe in the silver bullet in negotiations. It just doesn't exist, right? Okay. Uh, there's a gentleman at Harvard. His name is Robert Nookin. And Robert Nookin gives this metaphor that negotiations are like jazz. Right? Jazz musicians are some of the best musicians in the world because they know how to improvise on a theme. Right? That's what negotiations are. There's never one way that a sale comes together. There's never one way that a short sale negotiation with a bank goes, as you know. Right? Yeah. So the theme is there. Buyers looking to buy, sellers looking to sell. But what are we going to do? We're going to improvise. Which is why to be a skilled negotiator is to know different skills and different modalities and chords and all this different stuff that comes with jazz, right? Which is some of those musicians are some of the best musicians in the world. So I, I, I'll, I'll go there first and I'll say silver bullet just doesn't exist because really different things work at different times. But if there's one thing that I find when I survey my real estate agents that come into my classroom and I say, okay, what is the one change that you've made? What is the one difference when representing the buyer, when representing the seller? Specifically, the way you asked the question, Kevin, is when you make an offer. If it 
has to be that one thing. I'm going to go to a quote from another Harvard professor named Deepak Malhotra. Uh, Deepak is is incredibly bright mind, author of a book called uh, Negotiating the Impossible, Negotiation Genius, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, a number of books that he's written. And he has this quote that haunts him, right? And the quote goes like this. Negotiation is an information game. Now, here's the kicker about that quote, right? It's, it's so simple. And, and, and in one sense, like everyone that hears it goes like, okay, duh, right? It's like, it's like Beatles, all you need is love, right? It's like you hear that and you're like, okay, that's good. But that's one of those things that you keep coming back to throughout the course of your life and go, this makes sense to me anew in a different way, right? I see this and I can now apply this in a different way. So to me, when you talk about negotiation, it's the same way with negotiation as an information game. Yes, the more information you have, the more effective you are. But also, when you set out to gather information in a collaborative way, you show empathy to the other side. When you show empathy, you are liked by the other side. When you're liked by the other side, they want to do business with you because they trust you, right? So it's one of those seriously crazy simple things. But guess what? If I could pinpoint, and you asked me for it, so I'll just give it to you. If I could pinpoint one area where most real estate agents fail, in negotiation, it's a gathering more information. That's it. They think of kind of the proverbial agent that just writes an offer, attaches it to an email, and sends it to you. You know, I remember back in the short sale days uh, when I would teach other agents how to how to how to do short sales. I called it plain Columbo. And yeah. for those of you our age or older, Columbo is a TV show, right? About a detective. And he asked question after question after question, even would make himself look foolish. Um, But it was in the sense of it was from the point of like, I'm I'm going to gather more information because he was playing detective. And I literally taught it that way in the short sale days was play Columbo. That's it. Yeah. So that makes so I can relate to that. And I hope uh, anybody else who's ever seen that show can relate to playing Columbo as well. But if not, I mean, it's it's asking questions, right? Gathering that information that you talked about, because I, I would agree from my experience, yeah. it seems like the person with the most information that's relevant to the negotiation has probably got the upper hand. That's it. I mean, there's even a statistic out there. There's a, uh, there's a gentleman at Wharton University. His name is Richard Schell. Uh, he wrote a book called Bargaining for Advantage. And in it, he says that when he looks at what does a skilled negotiator do, right? That's a good question for us to consider. Like, what does a skilled negotiator do with their time? The statistic that he arrived at is that a skilled negotiator spends 40% of their total time in a negotiation trying to understand the other side. Specifically, three things. Asking questions, being Colombo, right? But then testing for understanding and summarizing the other side to show that they've actually listened, right? Now think of how much time in a negotiation the agent that just emailed you the offer just spent. That, 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 that's it. That's the statistic right there. Yeah, no wonder when I talk to some of the best agents on the buy side, um, they're calling the listing agent, they're asking questions, they're, they're gathering information prior to ever writing up and submitting contract offer absolutely absolutely that's huge um you know i've always thought of that as like that's a great way to do it and i never i guess i hadn't thought about that as negotiation so thank you that's that's a new viewpoint for me uh and hopefully it is for some of our listeners as well but let me ask you this question right that kind of goes back to the first question you asked me like what is negotiation 
well, even just friendly gathering questions, popping by, they're sitting in an open house, they're bored. And you're like, I don't know, what do you think this is going to sell like? Like, what's the seller looking for? Oh, no, that's just chit chat. Okay, but that's a huge part of what negotiation is. Yep. No, it really, I, dude, it really is. It's, that's pretty, uh, as simple as I can sound, it's a really profound. Um, let, let me ask you this, Greg, before I wind it down, I promised I wouldn't keep you too long. And I've got uh, two more questions. I got one more other question for you besides this one, but this one uh, um, could be a little bit of a rabbit hole. Um, let's talk about persuasion as a, essentially what I heard is it's a subset of a negotiation, right? Mm -hmm. Persuasion is, is part of negotiation. Yep. Uh, and I feel like just based on my own experience, thinking about Leo and what he shared with me on the podcast a few weeks ago, being great at this is going to be something that we've got to embrace as real estate professionals in 2019 and beyond, especially as we look at the things like the technology uh, disruptors mm -hmm. and potentially a market shift, who knows what will happen, or mm -hmm. just sort of mm -hmm. the unknown. It seems to me like having these skills polished is going to be more and more important. What do you, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts? Uh, okay. Two things. Number one, uh, Steve Murray, president of real trends, uh, had a fascinating uh, report a couple of years ago. Uh, it's called Game Changer. In it, he basically speculates that in the future, there's going to be two different tiers of real estate agents emerging. There's going to be the facilitators, think door openers, right? Think drivers. And the value of that agent is going to continue to be pressured to go down. I mean, honestly, how much is it worth that someone goes there and opens the door for a client, right? But the other level of agent that's going to emerge is someone that he calls the advocates, right? The advocates are people that can offer skills that cannot really be quantified. Like what's the value of good marketing? I'm not talking like what real estate agents think of marketing, which is like, hey, I put the property in the MLS and, and get this, get this. Full color flyers. Wow. Right. It's like year 2019 and you're literally talking about full color flyers. Okay. Impressive. Right. But no, no, no. Agents that can use what you and I were just talking about, persuasion to show value in this property, to get the butts into the into through the door and the interest and the competition and everything else, right? So negotiation, that's another one of those skills. Like, like again, if you if 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 Dr. Walsh says that you create 17% more value, and by the way, she actually argues that it's six percent for the other side, eleven percent more for your side, that's how this 17% splits up, right? Does it matter the fact that you're getting 3%? No, because parasitic relationship is where you take more value off the table than you put back on. That's a parasite, right? And the free market washes those kinds of industries out quickly. It, and then this is, you know, I hope, it, I hope it's okay to say, but there are a lot of parasites in this industry. There are a lot of people who take more money off the table than the value that they put back on. Why? Because what actual skills do they bring? They don't know how to market, right? They don't know how to negotiate. They don't know the market. They don't know the trends, the context, any of that stuff, right? So that's one, right? But skills like this, and this is why kind of going back to, uh, I'm hearing the same thing. Negotiation is a big huge buzzword for a real estate industry going into the future. Why? Because 84% of buyers and sellers surveys say that's the most important skill they look for in their real estate professional. And it's one way for us to kind of, which migrates to my second part of the answer, is in the future, I think a lot of the iBuyer models, you mentioned them, 
have done a phenomenal job persuading the consumer of their value proposition, right? Specifically, there's one in our market, uh, Open Door. I think they are brilliant in that they talk about a concept called pain points, right? Pain points is this visceral right brain term. Nobody likes pain. Everybody wants to do whatever it takes to avoid pain. And you know what they say is painful? You, real estate agents, me, that's painful. Well, guess what? We eliminate that. And, and, and here's, here's us, here's real estate agents are like, oh, well, the price is just going to go down, down, down. On average in our market, they're charging 10% and people are paying it. Why? Because what they've done, Kevin, is they've shown their value proposition in a meaningful way, in a way that the consumer in 2018, 19, 20 resonates with. So what do real estate agents do? We still regurgitate the same stuff, which is where it goes back to persuasion. Persuasion is understanding where the other side is, what their needs are, what are they looking for? People are still willing to pay for the best, right? Look out there, go to the grocery store next time, and not every single car at the grocery store is a Toyota Corolla, right? Toyota Corolla is the best car in the world. Change my mind. It's perfect. It's safe. It's reliable. It, it, it does everything that you want an automobile to do. But there's lots of cars in the parking lot that are worth a lot more. And guess what? Those are the companies that are making crazy money, like Porsche bonused every single one of their German employees two years ago, 5,000 euros, because they made so much flipping money. But it's like, who buys Porsches, right? Who would buy that when Toyota Corolla is out there? People who see value and then paying more for something that they can perceive to be more valuable, right? That's a huge challenge for us in the real estate industry because we don't get creative. We don't talk about competing and persuading. We talk about like, hey, I've got a license. Cool. <laughs> First of all, it makes me think that you own a Porsche because you call it Porsche, not Porsche. Um, so, uh, you know, if I didn't see you running around in, in, in your uh, or something, I might I might think that you actually own a Porsche. Maybe you do. You still let us see it when we're out getting tacos. <laughs> But dude, that was uh, that was powerful. I appreciate you sharing that with us. I've got one last question for you. Uh, if you've got a few more minutes for me, yeah. and this one sort of uh, off the cuff, I like to ask everybody this who, who comes on the show, just because it's uh, it's a question somebody who impacted my life asked everybody on his podcast, and I I like it. And it's simply this: like, Greg, what are the three things, three pieces of advice you would give to somebody for just generally kicking more ass in life. Like what are the top three pieces of advice you might give to a friend? Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a student, another realtor, family member, doesn't matter. But three pieces of advice. If I said, Hey, Greg, I just, I want to do better at life. What are those things? Damn dude. Way to put me way to put me on the spot. You're welcome. I could have, uh, I could have used a little heads up on that one. I wanted to throw you off, man. Cause you're so good. You're, you're polished. But I also know that you've got, uh, a lot of good stuff running through running through your your brain uh, just from the times we've sat together talking about investment properties and negotiation and stuff like that. I mean, so you did something last year that really intrigued me uh, when you when we were talking about like the short term rentals, uh, you know, from your long term rentals to short term stuff like that. But like, you know, just think of it as like you and I sitting there at lunch and I'm just asking you for advice. Like, hey, man, I just, just want to do better. Like what are those? What are those top two? Or th what are those specifically three things that you think are like they help you be your best? Okay, uh, so uh, let me uh, 
let me bracket that and basically say this is off the top of my head and uh this is uh this is just where i'm at in 2019 so this is not like you know the first of the three of top 10 commandments that i'm going to write or anything like that this is just something that resonates with me right now number one uh, i think the most successful people i meet are people who come from a place of abundance not a place of scarcity yeah. right there's a lot of business out there for the good guys there's plenty for the taking and uh people that are givers and help others and come from a place of abundance those are the people that are winning right uh number two uh this is actually a quote from someone both you and i admire and have talked about uh gary vaynerchuk uh i'm intrigued by uh, the guy that pulled him aside and it's just i'm sure you've seen the video and then he's like give me one advice one advice one advice and gary vaynerchuk goes you're gonna die we're all gonna die no one gets off this thing alive so what are you gonna do about it for the rest of your life right what what are you gonna do this is it you're gonna die you've got just the rest of your life left what are you gonna do about it right his point being like don't squander it don't just wait around for the right time set out go do it go 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 live life right uh that would be number two number three um I don't know. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. I, I got one. This is, this is something that's been meaningful to me, uh, throughout my life and, uh, various times it's kind of, uh, came and went, but one of the greatest things I've done is basically train myself to be an information sponge, right? To be a knowledge sponge. Um, I am constantly listening to audiobooks and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, this is a quote from a gentleman that I studied under like, 25 years ago. His name is Dr. Noble. And the, the quote goes like this. If you want to be a leader, you have to be a reader. So uh, get out there. There's so much good stuff out there. In books. Uh, I think a lot of people squander so much of their life watching TV or just listening to the same regurgitated radio stations. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be a reader. I've never met somebody who's come up with everything that they know just by themselves. How about that? Dude, totally agree. Those were those were awesome for uh, for being put on the spot, dude. You came out with three good ones. I really appreciate that. Well, Greg, uh, man, I really appreciate your time today, buddy. Like this was super valuable, and uh, I know for me and and for the listeners as well uh, to kind of hear your thoughts here on negotiation. As someone who's who's just been uh, entrenched in this as you have for so long, uh, can see it from the inside, uh, dude. I I really appreciate it. So thanks a ton for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All the very best of luck to everyone listening out there in business and life and negotiations. And if you listened, thank you for your time. It's the most precious thing you could have given. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. And uh, guys, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Kevin. Thank See you. you everybody. That's it for today's show. Do me a favor. If you enjoy this, go over to iTunes or wherever you're listening at. Leave us a review. Share this episode with your friends. And for more great content, check us out in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash next level agents. That's facebook.com forward slash groups next level agents. See you soon.